Good morning. It's Wednesday, May 13th, 2015, and this is Tech Talk Today, episode 170. 170 of this stuff, and it's a big show today, so let me bring in our mumble room so we can just get chewing right into this stuff. Hey there, mumble room. Time appropriate greetings. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, guess what? We're going to start at the top of the show today with a little bit of breaking news. That's right. This is CNN Breaking News. Yeah, uh, watch out. The new Heartbleed is on the loose, and most data centers are definitely threatened. Um, At least that's what all of the press would like you to believe. It's called Venom, and it's a security vulnerability in the QMU uh, virtualizer. It's a new vulnerability that's probably also going to be in things like Zen and KVM because they share some of the same code. Uh, now, this is a pretty popular virtualizer, uh, and it's CVE 2015-3456. It's the cause of a widely ignored legacy virtual floppy disk controller. Even if you have the virtual floppy disk controller disabled, uh, a hacker or malicious crafter could send specifically crafted code that could crash the entire hypervisor. That can allow the hacker to break out of their own virtual machine then and access other virtual machines, including those owned by other people and other companies, depending on the data center. The vulnerable code is, in fact, used in Zen, KVM, and VirtualBox. VMware, Box, and Hyper-V are unaffected. A veteran of security expert and researcher Dan Kaminsky, I think is how you say his name, said in an email that the bug went unnoticed for more than a decade because almost nobody ever looks at legacy floppy disk systems which happens to be in almost every virtualization software. The vulnerability has been dubbed Venom for virtualized environment neglected operations manipulation. Isn't that adorable? And yes, before you even ask, it already has a website and a logo this morning. (laughs) Right on top of that, it is, of course, a snake that is bleeding a little bit like Heartbleed, venom.crowdstrike.com, if you want to check that out. Mumble Room, are you patching your S? Sure. Not as scared by this one, are you? Not, no, not really. No. no, I don't know. It kind of seemed like they've lost their pizzazz a little bit. I guess, first of all, because nobody really uses QMU in serious scale, right? Does anybody? I mean, maybe there's a use for it. I know it does some things particularly well, but I'm trying to think of what large scale. It's just not a very cost effective hypervisor. Or it's not even a hypervisor. It's not a very cost effective virtualizer at scale. It's so I'm not sure how wide why I'm sure there's a lot of data centers that have it. There's definitely way more data centers that have Zen and KVM. And if the code's in there, it's and remember, the part of this is even if you have the virtual floppy drive disabled, even if that code's turned off, uh, the attacker can still activate it. Um, so it, it's going to affect pretty much any any platform that has Zen KVM virtual box or QMU. So it is. Okay. You know, if you look at it at that scale, that's that's actually pretty widely spread now that I think about it. It's actually uh, – you know, it's actually something I think system administrators need to pay attention to. I, I'm going to say final judgment for Thursday when TechSnap comes around. But, you know, just going off – I mean, you think about it, like large installations out there like DigitalOcean and, and, uh, and Linode and um, GoDaddy are all using Zen and KVM. And that's a huge – I mean that's that's a huge amount. And if you if you have to patch your box and you have to restart, that means you have to restart all of those virtual machines too. That means outages for a lot of customers. Well, this, is, this doesn't really affect uh, normal users. So I don't really get the website of the system administrators at – Oh, I can tell you what the website's about. Oh, that's real easy. Oh, oh, that? Oh, yeah. So, no, it's not to help users. No, 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 no. You see that logo right there? CrowdStrike? 
That's to help this company called CrowdStrike. This is the new way that these cyber companies, these, uh, you know, uh, whatever you want to call them, cybersecurity specialists, uh, wh- whatever the category they're going to fall into for cyber, this is how they get their name now. This is how they get their name recognition is they, they find these, they brand these, they bring name recognition. And, and as the vulnerability and the matter and the issue gets attention, the company that found it gets attention. And the only way it really, really works well is if it's a legitimate problem. And, you, and the only way it also works really well is you have really great communication. So look at this right here, for example. This is a gorgeous freaking infographic that I just want to pause the frame on. They have done a great job here. They have shown you the exact process in which an attacker could exploit this from a remote system. And yes, it involves island hopping like we talk about all the time on TechSnap i.e. you have to then first penetrate something that's vulnerable on the outside, like the web server, and then from the web server you have to get into the system, and then you have to compromise something in the system to get to the hypervisor, but once you're there, you get access to everything. So it's essentially a three-island hop, and they're pretty major islands to hop, but it's doable. So it makes this a legitimate problem they found. They put their logo all over this kind of stuff. They put up a website. You get the name. Man, their dream is that this goes on uh, the the, uh, CBS Morning News, and Charlie Rose is talking about the new Venom vulnerability. That's their dream, right? Because then they become a common name in the cybersecurity industry. That's why they do this. And you notice, too, think about how this had to work. You don't just have a logo. You don't just have infographs. You don't just have a domain. You don't have all of the communication and all of this just accidentally ready to go the morning the vulnerability is announced. That's not how that works. This has all been planned. This has all been queued up. They had a designer create the logo. They had, they had somebody set up the website and create all the infographs. They worked with the different companies. They got all of this together, and then when the NDA was lifted, they had the whole package ready to roll out to brand this thing. Everybody's learned from Heartbleed. you got to brand it. And this is sort of the disgusting aspect of this. But at the same time, it's a legitimate problem that they are bringing attention to. And the only way to truly keep cloud services secure is to make sure that our infrastructure providers are patching their S. And one of the ways to do that is to draw a lot of attention and make customers aware and make the customers demand from their providers that they're patching and make them communicate on their blogs how they're staying up to date. And and only a way to do that is if customers are aware. And you know what? I mean, we're we're just a couple hundred years out of the jungle or maybe a little more than that. But it feels like maybe just a couple of days out of the jungle. Sometimes we need shiny things to distract us, honestly. So like all of the motivations feel super dirty. And, like, the reason is this CrowdStrike company wants to get a lot of attention. That's why it's venom.crowdstrike.com, right? you got to go to one of their subdomains. Like, let's not kid ourselves here. That's pretty intentional. All of this is pretty intentional. And then they have about CrowdStrike at the bottom of this page. So I think that all of this is pretty well orchestrated, but at the same time, it does do a pretty good service. So <laughs> at the end of the day, here we are talking about it, and now people know there's a vulnerability. And if there's a system administrator listening to the show, and my gut tells me there's a lot of them, Maybe now now they know to go patch. Oh, look, guys. Look. You can download the logo. Oh, this is great. Let's do that. So they've made a media kit available. Oh, yeah. Downloads as a zip file. This is really nice. So I'm going to download this right now. Oh, yeah. I got the Venom logo. This is... This is great. Yeah, check. Oh, they've made it on a Mac. You can tell because uh, it has the underscore Mac OS X directory that Macs create in every folder. So there you go. There's my high-resolution Venom PNG. If I want to put it up on my site or maybe put it on a lower third while I'm telling my audience about it, they have made the branding available for me with a nice transparency. That's pretty great. Venom.crowdstrike. Go get it, guys. Go get your media kit. <laughs>
I think we'll probably be talking more about this on TechSnap uh, and probably more about the technical aspect of it too. Uh, I'd be really curious to hear Alan's thoughts. Mumble Room, any thoughts on any of this before we move to the next story? Making a sticker. for <laughs> trademark, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's just another way for them to make money. I wonder if I could take that and put it on a T-shirt and, uh, like, when we talk about it in text, I'll be like, go buy your Venom. I should. That's, what, that's, that's the new revenue opportunity for Jupiter Broadcasting is we'll just totally jump on board with these things and sell merch with the, uh, <laughs> with the vulnerability logo. It'd be cool, man. And you could have the whole series. And then, like, at the end of the year, we could release, like, the whole catalog. Like, you could in one big batch buy, like, the whole year's worth of sh- Okay, i got to stop. Uh, yeah, actually, screw that. We're not going to have any money to buy uh, shirts because we're going to start buying Blu-ray 4K DVDs or whatever you call them. Yeah, the Ultra HD spec has been finalized. So we now have a final agreed-upon spec for delivering 4K video over Blu-ray. It's going to be called uh, Ultra HD Blu-ray. And the BDA form says that the format incorporates a 3,840 by 2,160 pixel resolution, an expanded color range support, high dynamic range, so HDR. So HDR movies could be pretty crazy. Uh, the high frame rate content, so you can have 60 frame per second movies, as well as up-to-date video, they say. It'll be able to have updated for next-generation formats and sounds. Uh, and they haven't yet specifically mandated any particular types of sound formats like DTS or Dolby Atmos. But a spokesperson for the BDA said that specific audio support is optional and not mandatory. So whatever's on the disc, the new spec will be allowed to pass through. So they can, whatever audio format comes down the road, they just write it to the disc. And as long as your player and receiver can interpret it, you're good to go. Uh, in addition, a UHD Blu-ray will bring the ultraviolet like digital bridge feature that will allow consumers to view their content across a range of in-home and mobile devices. Yeah, ultraviolet. Yeah. Uh, Blu-ray Ultra HD. Also, uh, Netflix's uh, CEO yesterday said that uh, Netflix 4K is uh, closer than you think and uh, that once it hits, it's going to be so big, it's going to displace traditional television. So you got 4K Blu-ray disc, which is going to be probably unquestionably the highest quality, 4K. And then you got Netflix, which is going to be your easy 4K content. I don't know, Lionhead. Let's say uh, Amazon opens up and starts shipping in your area and they have a sale on 4K TVs. Are you buying one? Nope. <laughs> come on. I mean, come on. Really? 4K is well, real, man. It's legit. It's not like 3D. It's a, it's the real deal. Uh, I know, but I still don't, don't watch a lot of things that are in that high of a resolution. So I still like to watch older stuff and they will never look good on a 4K TV anyway. All right, fair enough. But, you know, I got kids, man. I never get to go out to the movies anymore, but there has been some great movies. Like, I would love to have seen Interstellar in the theater, right? I'd love to have seen that in the theater. Uh, so now I'm going to watch it at home. I'd like to be able to see it in the best quality possible because, like, that's my trade-off. Like, kind of a bit of a sa- – I so before I had kids, I used to go to, like, the movies once a week almost. I mean, like, that was part of cast blast is we'd have a movie review every week. I, I was a big part of my life, and I, it, it's an area that I've just totally kind of stopped really – I go to like two, three movies a year now. I'd love to bring that home, and I'd love to be able to get that high-quality experience. And I am a bit of a quality fidelity nut. My problem is I'm good as long as I feel like I've gotten the best quality that I can afford and reasonably implement. The moment I start to realize I can have better and I see it, then it starts to eat at me a little bit. And the more reality it come, becomes, so like when things like 4K Blu-rays come out and Netflix start getting, getting a library of content, I feel like I'm going to start to feel that pressure to be like, 
come on, Chris, you know you really appreciate high-resolution stuff and you know it's going to make you feel good every time you hit play. Like, I, like people say money doesn't make you happy. I say that shit. I, when I have high-quality, like, high-fidelity high headphones and I put them on and, and it sounds amazing, that does make me happy, right? That actually makes me happy. When I went to HD television and I got the most amazing 1080p rips, when I finally zeroed in on the perfect rip and I had perfect quality – for me, I was very happy. And the only way you could do that is if you spend a little bit of money sometimes. So I'm not saying you have to. My point is, yeah, 4K is going to bring you something. If you're the type of person who likes high-fidelity audio and high-fidelity video and you really enjoy that stuff, my experience, and this is just based on the high DPI displays that I've been using recently, my experience is it is this sort of like almost it turns a television into a window. It's like you're looking through a window right at the person. It's amazing. And it's it, it you almost don't even need 3D because it is so, so clear. And, 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 and the, you can almost perceive that your brain can perceive the depth for you because the picture has so much fidelity and it's not just like that like higher resolution but there's there's a wider color gamut uh there's a higher detail in the shadows so there's more definition between the objects and it just is so amazing so i i i don't i i would say that that opinion you have line had may change now if if that kind of stuff doesn't get you you might be the type of person where it doesn't really bother you like for example if you're going to be mostly watching retro television anyways it's four by three you know, like old Star Trek, like that I mostly watch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, uh, it, I might get into this eventually, but I mean, it's still pre-first gen. And yeah, I, I, I'll wait this out. But audio high fidelity, you have me all all yeah. day long. Yeah, I mean, in the audio department, I I'm completely with you. On the image, not so much at the moment, but that I, might change. I uh, I like the idea of. So I've always – when I've always been working on my media collection, I've always started with the philosophy of the source material, the perfect the perfect resolution and size is like whatever you can afford to what you can display. Like there's this, there's this soft spot of my philosophy is rip it to the highest quality or even uncompressed if that's what you can afford to store it to and then use a front-end transcoder like Plex or some of the things like Kodi offers to deliver it down to lower resolution devices like mobile – or, or a small TV and have it transcode on the fly because mobile technology is going to get faster. The displays are going to get better. And that source rip, you're not going to want to go back and have to re-rip. And so I have some stuff that's this. I, I will rip it even if I don't even think I have anything that could fully display it in the best quality yet because I know that maybe in a year or two I will. And that's always kind of been my philosophy going forward with display. So in a way, I've been sort of building my media collection waiting for higher resolution display. I'm ready. Oh, one. Did you have something you wanted to add in? Oh, sorry, I, I, I did, and I accidentally hit my push yeah, to talk button. Sorry about that. Um, I just I want to say, you know, my thought about this going forward is I've kind of taken a I'm going to hold back and see how things play out. Yeah. But my feeling is it seems kind of gimmicky until it's been proven. And my my biggest concern always with stuff like this is what's going to happen on the back end in terms of is it just like I'm always paranoid about moves to. Uh, sort of planned obsolescence and how's mm-hmm. that going to affect me because I don't want to I don't give a crap about 4k I don't I want to be able to watch Netflix on my old crappy computer that I saw <laughs> this as from long the as they let you keep doing that yeah I follow you it's exactly. a whole range yeah I do get that too yeah I, I wouldn't want that to go away either at the same time that's a good point 
Uh, all right. Okay, let's move on. I think this is really a neat idea. It's not available in the U.S. yet, but it is in some other parts of the world. You've maybe heard of these guys before. The Yoda phone, the Yoda phone 2 is really slick. I, I just it, uh, there it has an AMOLED front screen, like a regular high quality front screen. Uh, but then on the back, it has an e-ink display that is always on. Uh, it's a 4.7 inch e-ink display that now uh, shows things like a clock, the weather, uh, your notifications, your messages, and it has paper-like color. And they're also going to offer one in black soon. And uh, they have a planned North America debut for the Yoda Phone 2, and they're going to do an Indiegogo campaign to help bring funding, kicking off on May 19th. So uh, next Tuesday, May 19th, for early bird pricing, uh, very interesting. Look at this, with the e-ink display on the back. Like, And they say like it doesn't impact battery life that bad, and I can believe it. And they're going to have it available with uh, Lollipop. It's on, for, it's on uh, KitKat right now, but they're uh, shipping a Lollipop update soon. I don't know if anybody in the mumble room has the video stream up, but I, I, are you seeing how cool it is to have this e-ink display on the back of the phone like this? I want it. That is a yeah. great idea. Yes. Yeah, because you can have the phone face down and you can still get the time mm-hmm. if you don't want a smartwatch. Yeah, yeah. and I mean like the and Pebble has shown us it's doable, or the Kindle. I actually think this is a better idea than the Edge. I mean I've been using the Edge a little bit here and there, you know, for notifications. As you can rub the Edge and it gives you no – yeah, but this – this is legit because you just have it on all the time. Uh, legit is my favorite word today. Uh, I don't I, – I, I am tempted uh, – I am tempted to say like if this is under $200 and GSM I, and I can throw it on Ting, I, I might back this on the 19th. Uh, files copy and you wanted, you wanted to add uh, something about the e-ink display? Yeah, I would say I would go all in for an e-ink cell phone because just imagine you have a cell phone. The most power-intensive part is the screen yeah. minus the cellular radio. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think the Pebble Time is going to show us that you can have e-ink in a way we've never seen before. I've been watching the videos on how you navigate the interface on the Pebble Time, and I can't believe that's e-ink. I mean, they have full-fledged animations and transitions between screens, and it's fast and updated in real time. Um, and I don't know if you see in this picture here, they not only have a clock, but you can. they also have it in like Kindle mode, and they're using the e-ink for reading a, a, a Kindle book or something. So you can use the back e-ink screen to read a book, which is genius. That's genius. Yeah, because your eyes get tired of watching a screen all yeah. day, but that e-ink... Well, and what a, what a battery that. saver. What a battery saver if you're going to oh, read. Oh, yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, while we're on Android, I, I, and we were just talking a little bit about Android devices, just a quick mention that Asus confirms they're working on the next generation of the ZenWatch, which will come in Q3 of this year. And they say this next generation is going to have a four-day battery life. And that's a really big deal because a lot of people want to use these things to track their sleep. So ZenWatch in Q3, a new one, they confirm the device will feature improved battery life up from about two days is what you get right now. Uh, but their long-term goal is seven days on the watch. Also, I thought this was interesting. The company said, and this was uh, the CEO, said that uh, he expects to sell less than a million units of smartwatches this year. Less than a million. And, and I think early reports are, what, Apple's around two million uh, on like opening weekend? or around 1.1 million for the Apple Watch. So in in one weekend, the Apple Watch sold more than Asus expects to sell all year. That's pretty rough. But uh, if they can get that battery life up, I actually don't think they have that big of a gap to close. Um, So I I actually think that's not actually all that bad for them. Maybe, and Asus is really building some nice stuff. The Zen Watch is a really good looking, really good looking watch. Um, Yeah. 
All right, guys. Let's uh, let's just plug the Patreon before we get out of here, and then I have a couple other bits of business I want to talk about. Patreon.com slash today is where we're going to fund the Jupiter Broadcasting Network for the next set of things we have to work on. Uh, it came out this week that we're working on a new show called Floss Unplugged. And uh, to do those kinds of things, you know, just to even get that set up, it takes a few hundred dollars worth of equipment. It takes a lot of time and coordination. It actually took some travel, too, but that was sort of unrelated at first. But that travel, too, was supported by our patrons. And because I was traveling, I ran into this person who is going to become one of our hosts. It's a very, uh, it's sort of amazing system for a content creator because I'm doing all of these shows for you anyways. So it's, it's, it feels very aligned with how, how I want things to feel. I want the audience to be sort of the bosses and the consumer. I want the, I want the audience to be able to have uh, sort of all of my bias is directed that direction. I want them to be the ones sort of leading me by the nose, if I can put it another way. Like, that number there represents the control of the audience. That's like the audience is investing in the network. And for me, that's that's a pretty important thing. That keeps, when we're talking about these topics that are important to you, open source and Linux and all these stories we've just covered, I think if you know that our attention is that number right there, that 488 people that are supporting us at patreon.com slash today, you know that's where our bias is. So if I'm covering a story a certain way and you're like, why is Chris saying it like this? Is he biased towards something? Well, then all you have to ask yourself is, is that what the is that the only bias I have is towards my audience? And if there you, that that gives you my bias. And I think that gives you a certain sense of confidence in our coverage. And it's not just mine. Right. It's everyone on the network because that's how we structured the entire network. That's 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 a fundamental difference than how how a primarily ad driven revenue model is designed because it's. That's a huge, huge difference, and that's why it's really important to me that we keep driving this. I'd love to see this get up to 490 by the weekend. I don't know if it's possible. or Wednesday right now. Patreon.com slash today. And when you become a patron, you also get access to the activity feed. Not just that, but really you have our sincere gratitude. And there's even a swag club where you get goodies from time to time sent to you in the mail. You go to patreon.com slash today, and any amount you can afford, you pledge that. $3 is sort of like a starting level, but anything you really can or more is great. Patreon.com slash today. Okay, little bits of other business to cover before we get out of here. Uh, techtalktoday.reddit.com is where I'd like you to go to submit stories to the show. It is sort of kind of like a guiding rod for me. I go in there and say, okay, what's, what are, what's everybody talking about today? Uh, and sometimes I use it to get fired up, and sometimes I use it to cover a story that I hadn't even considered. Uh, what I, I, I look over there right now, and it's a, it's a great resource, too, when you kind of get like additional stories to follow up on. And it's a great spot to give feedback because I check this pretty often. Uh, the Venom vulnerability was submitted in there two hours ago. Uh, a breakup letter to my Apple Watch was submitted in there uh, an hour ago. That's a good one. Oh, and this one actually is one I wanted to call out by Orbermizer. This is a really good one because this, this kind of goes back to the soapbox I caught on the other day when I was saying, you know, here we are giving Apple we're, – we're making Apple this pretend boogeyman saying they're trying to destroy free streaming which is a really kind of like hyped up story that weather isn't really based on anything solid. And I said, if you really want to go after them, go after them for the envir- environmental damage they're doing to, or the damage to the people they're doing to get the materials to build their phones. We always talk about the China factories, but what about the people that are getting the stuff to China? What, how can we, let's go talk about that. And uh, well, guess what? Orbermeiser found one over at ABC. This, talk, this toxic lake of black sludge is the result of mining to create our tech gadgets. Sounds a little heavy. But it's exactly – now, this is the kind of thing I was talking about. 
Uh, so I appreciate him linking that in there. And those are other kind of things over there. So there's not just not just downer stuff though. It's there's also very funny stuff over there. In fact, sometimes things that we mention in the show and there's, there's a, people catch it and they follow up on it in the subreddit. It's a lot of really good stuff. Um, so check it out, techtalktoday.reddit.com and help make the show even better. And by the way, uh, if you've been missing Ange on the show, she'll probably be joining us again soon. But in the meantime, go catch her on Linux Unplugged, episode 92, Linux Wife, Happy Life. Uh, Angela gave us an update on her switch to Linux. We talked about uh, Ubuntu powering Internet of Things and their new deal with Microsoft because we covered that a little bit yesterday and we expanded upon that Linux Unplugged. Uh, it's a good episode and it's a good – if you've been listening to Tech Talk today uh, for the last couple of days, it's a good one to catch up on because it covers some of the stuff even further. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me today. I'm going to leave us with a commercial. I was thinking about Venom and people being – you know, generating hype around vulnerabilities and – the previous time we've really watched this happen in a big way was in the late 90s and early 2000s when antivirus makers just went crazy. In fact, they still are, even in the late, even, even now, really. But it really shifted when, when all of a sudden viruses and malware and links and email and attachments just really became this huge deal. And, and all of a sudden we got this huge new industry that was making money off it just like we're seeing right now. And so I thought to end the show today, we should look back at that time, which actually is still going on with a good old Norton antivirus commercial. At least the one, this one's pretty funny. See you tomorrow, everybody. JBLive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the live time. Imagine this oscillating fan is your computer password, and David Hasselhoff is a cyber criminal. Do you allow Hasselhoff to have his way with your oscillating fan, or do you deny it? Ich bin eine Sexmaschine. Du bist eine Windmaschine. Lass es uns Protect your oscillating fan from David Hasselhoff. Deny digital dangers with Norton Internet Security 2011.